Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games a bit like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is a stand-up comedian, writer, radio host and podcaster. Born in South Africa, his family then moved to the Isle of Man in the Irish Sea. 
He studied Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic languages at Cambridge University, where he also became vice president of the Footlights Comedy Society. In 2014, The Guardian newspaper described his debut show at the Edinburgh Festival as marking the dawn of a major talent. And since then, my guest has delighted audiences with his wry and quick-witted observational comedy, both on stage, on the radio as co-host of The Frank Skinner Show, and on television with appearances on The Mash Report and World's Most Dangerous Roads. He also co-hosts the smash hit podcast Bud Pod with his longtime friend, collaborator and previous guest of the show, Phil Wang. Welcome, Pierre Novelli. Hey, thank you. What an intro. That's very... Uh, <laughs> although I should say... Uh, I did do mainly more the history and archaeology of, of Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic studies. Oh, not the languages? I did a little bit of it, but but the languages side of it, I mean, we're talking philology here, uh, Germanic oh vowel shifts. I mean, ugh, really uh, <laughs> unuser-friendly stuff. My right, God. Right. So you can't do a you can't do a 20-minute set in, um, well, I don't even know what you could, in Celtic. <laughs> yeah, proto, proto-Celtic. No way. Wait. <laughs> No way. So I had the I had the great pleasure of seeing you at the Royal Festival Hall recently, where you're performing next to Phil. I read you say in an interview a while ago that your favourite venue for a stand-up is a basement in a city. Yeah. Uh, the Royal Festival Hall is not that. It's sort of a large concert hall used by orchestras. Did you have to adjust your routine to fit that context at all? I was amazed by how fine it was, because normally a high-ceilinged venue is terrible for stand-up, because the laughs um, disappear. There's no reverb. Right, okay. So, you know, you go to like Terminal 5 and Heathrow, it sounds like a library. There's a hush to it because it's so big. Even though it's very noisy, it's full of people. The same thing happens, whereas in a basement, the reason it's good is it's not just that it makes the crowd womb-like and, and safe, <laughs> which does help them laugh, and it's dark and yeah, right. conspiratorial. Mm. It also, it's just basic uh, sound uh, 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 physics. Like it, it, it bounces the laughs back down onto their heads and it makes it sound louder. So they think I'm having a better time. You know? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I think that was the biggest crowd I've kicked in front of. Certainly up there. 2,700. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. It was great. It, it Thanks, felt man. like it landed super well. Yeah. You, you were wearing, um, you sort of got this lovely maroon velvet jacket that you wear. I don't know how long you've been wearing that for. Uh, 2017 ish. Uh, that was 2017. Was the right. first time I wore it, and then I didn't realize that it. I, I I didn't accept that that was how I should look for a yeah. couple of years more. You sort of addressed it in the show straight away. You said, "Look, normally when I'm playing in a dingy little comedy venue, there's a funny juxtaposition, right? Of this sort of yeah, it's like, clear that it's a joke of like, uh, oh well, obviously the jacket's <laughs> yeah. like a kind of silly, like semi-ironic nod to the past of stand-up, but in that venue, it's just oh, very sincere, you know, this guy, this guy likes uh, <laughs> yeah, about to give a lecture, yeah, or like this guy likes Frank Sinatra, this guy's into the past. How important do you think like costume stuff is for for comedy? Is it something you you think about a lot, or is it? I used to try and prove that it didn't matter. I used to try and wear whatever I showed up in, like hoodie or you know, yeah. And I'd say, well, the act is the act, and uh, that was dumb. That was dumb and wrong. Wait, how so? Well, I was wrong about it. It does matter. It's so important. I was essentially as like a fucking some idiot stand up. I was trying to undermine the 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 costume part of the five thousand years of theater tradition <laughs> i'll show them <laughs> yeah I, was, I think they were wrong about this said the said the genius yeah no uh, it, it is so important yeah 
You've been um, you've been friends with Phil for for a long time since since university, but you seem to be spending an awful lot of time together at the moment on tour, on TV, and uh, and doing your weekly podcast records. Do you ever wind each other up, and and if so, how do you deal with those moments? Um, very rarely, I think. I, Phil was saying he said this on one of the Bud Pod episodes, but he realized that he doesn't have any friends who get offended, or, or who are the kinds of people who get offended, and I'm quite similar. Yeah. It would take quite a thing for me to actually be offended because we're both hyperlogical. And if there's an explanation for behavior, then we're 90% over it already. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I guess the release valve is itself humor. Like we do make fun of each other's habits and it's fine. So that's nothing can fester, but there's not much to fester. Yeah. yeah. That's lovely. That's so nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it's interesting. You called the podcast Bud Pod and the fact that it is. You know, it's about male friendship and which is something that I suppose, you know, people talk a lot about a lot at the moment, don't they? And how men don't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, although I don't know if they'll be asking a couple of massive fucking dorks like us to stand in for that kind of like talk, talk to your mates, fucking <laughs> talk to your friends, really rely on that kind of bloke mental health stuff. Like, like it's always aimed yeah, at yeah, very yeah. tough geezers. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the dorks, I, I don't know. I think they, we have other sources of respite well this podcast like this <laughs> video games well yeah that seems like a seems like a good uh, a good point at which to come to the premise so yeah I've, I've asked you to pick the five video games you want to put on your yeah ideal fictional video game console so um yeah do you want to just tell us about your first game when did you first encounter it and what is it and why do you love it i'm going to make sure i look at the, the right order that i sent these to you in uh, Golden Axe. That's the first one. Oh, boy. So, probably... Maybe not the first video game I ever played. That might be like Tetris on Game Boy or something. But it's in there because we, when we were kids in in Johannesburg in the 90s, we had, I think it was a Sega Mega Drive. Not the original Sega, but a Mega Drive. And I vaguely remember buying it, going out and getting it. And yeah, Golden Axe was one of the few dusty old cassette games that we actually had. And we were just absolutely obsessed with it and it was me and my older sister and my younger sister and the three characters basically a, a guy called death adder yes yeah he's he's like a kind of crappy version of the the evil wizard guy from conan the barbarian i think yes he's kidnapped your parents or something. he's 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 been killing a bunch of people he's bad guy he's been killing a bunch of people and a kind of sexy bikini lady uh, and a barbarian like like Schwarzenegger and a dwarf like Gimli yes, are the three it. characters. Wearing green, isn't he? Yeah, he's green. Big axe. You can fight your way through a side-scroller to come and find Death Adder and get vengeance for your parents slash whatever. My older sister was the sexy bikini lady. I was the normal barbarian. We made our younger sister the dwarf <laughs> whenever we played. You made her. Was a, you didn't swap roles at all after a couple of goes. Um, she, if Tegan, my older sister, wasn't around, then she, maybe Michelle could play as the 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 lady. But but over time, I think she came to identify with the struggles of the dwarf um, <laughs> and dead. his sort of uh, forward roll attacks. Yeah, 
Yes, so for anyone who doesn't know, it's sort of a, well, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up, I guess, uh. a bit like Double Dragon and all of those, where you, you sort of enemies walk towards you. They don't really make games like this anymore, do they? But it, you, no. you just sort of walk along and punching people or swiping at them with your sword. And I mean, what was the last side-scrolling beat-em-up, that weird modern uh, uh, The Warriors? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was between. They did a remake of Street yes. Streets of Rage for last and year. It was but that be- doesn't really count. It was between yeah. this and Streets of Rage. That was also on the Sega Mega Drive, and basically a reskin yeah. version of exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Except in Streets of Rage, you could get a whole roast chicken on a plate in a phone booth, <laughs> yeah. and you'd eat that, and you'd get your health back. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in real in, well, in real life, if you ate a roast chicken from a, fo- a phone booth at night, you'd get your health. Your health would be much lower depleted yeah 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 to say the least there's a lot of meat in these guys golden axe i seem to remember it was like cuts of meat wasn't it or am i making that up I can't yes remember. round a fire or something yes i have a very distinct image of the gif sprite of the dwarf guy getting health by eating a kind of like chicken leg yeah that's right yeah 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 yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Something. yeah. i chicken legs and games man I would always be so upset and engrossed out by the gristle and reality of a drumstick. Whereas in these games, it was this perfect orb of meat on a kind of cartoon <laughs> femur. Yes. Slides off the bone perfectly. Oh, it was like a, a, yeah, exactly, like a kofta or something. That's what I really wanted. Yeah. And I, I, am I making this up? Was, is there a bit in that game where you ride a dinosaur? Uh, uh. E- even though it's like a Tolkien fantasy. Yeah, that. Just- yeah, they're trying to go for some sort of Middle Earth thing, but it's a lot more Conan than an Americanized. And yeah, there is a bit where for some reason you ride a kind of insane <laughs> Yoshi. Yeah. And it's it swipes its tail and it's quite short as well. It's quite dwarf like. Yeah, it's kind of we're stumpy lizard. That. Yeah. Yeah, stumpy lizard, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. There's a bit where skeletons come out of the earth and, and, and from various clouds. Mm. Yeah, there's there's some Jason yeah, yeah. and the Argonauts. Skeletons, if Definitely. you have to chop up. And it's one of those great games where the difficulty of the guy you're fighting is the color of the armor. So I remember like the purple, shiny skeletons yes. were just impossible. Yeah, that's right. They still use that. That's a very that's a very elegant way to tell you how tough a guy's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, I go, well, this guy's all shiny and, and sort of electric blue. So obviously he's worth a lot of roast chickens and phone booths and uh, my only other memory of golden axe and i think this is true does it finish and it turns out it's all been a game or something or they've been playing in an arcade oh I'm making that up right at the it's end sort of, of the game and then they meta. walk out of a bar i think so oh. maybe i'm gonna have to i'll have to check that and uh and uh and and let let listeners know but yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure that happens anyway it's the original matrix then. yeah yeah so you uh, you mentioned there that you you grew up in Johannesburg with your sisters. Um, you've I've I've seen you talk about it in your stand up, and you say that that it was I think you once described it as like a version of Gotham City where Batman's been dead for ten years and there's there's three Jokers. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it really that yeah. rough? It's pretty dystopian place, but the weather's nice, so it's harder to kind of get a grasp on it. Uh, yeah, I mean we we left in the late. 90s to 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 move abroad from to follow dad's job but yeah i mean mm. they, what did he what did he do oh he's a lawyer 
but it was a lot of home invasions and and car carjackings. And right. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had guns in the house and little electric fence on the wall around the house and bars on oh, the wow, gates, okay. bars on the doors, armed response. Oh, like, no, no, yeah, like Joe, a, co- Joe, a compound. Yeah, type yeah. Thing. Well, late nineties Joburg particularly was the height of the crime and the murder wave, and it did reach kind of El Salvador levels of, of you know. Wow. How old were you then at that time? I was seven. <laughs> so it was quite an intense place. Um, but still, like, trouble is, if any Africans are hearing this, they'll either just be agreeing or they'll be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's fine. And when they say it's fine, what they mean is everyone's friendly and you can still get nice food and wine at a reasonable price. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying from the perspective of anyone who's not used to it, it's an intolerable <laughs> fortress mindset. It's like living in a fucking tower defense game spread out of your yeah. whole life. It does sound intense. Do you think it had a big effect on you? You know, having to seeing your electric fence and your barred doors and all of that. Um, I was always very crime conscious, and I was always very aware that, like, of burglars and 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 the idea of hijacking or that like, there are sort of bad men with guns who can come and do crime to you and things. And like, right. yeah. I guess it makes you. I don't know. It mean it means that you're very uh, uh in, you're initially very shocked, and then compared to most other kids, quite hard to shock because someone will be like, oh, and someone mugged this guy and 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 shot him, and you'll be like, yes, yes. Yes, that does. That is in the category in my head labeled things that happen. Mm, right, yeah. But it, it normal. Yeah. it's normal to you when you're a kid. It's only when you leave and try and come back or visit that you go, Jesus, was it like this the whole time? Fuck. Yeah. So you go, you follow your dad um, to the Isle of Man and uh, that's quite a different vibe, I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely no need for that level of crime awareness uh, at all. I, <laughs> yeah. I remember I had a friend <laughs> growing up, had a Land Rover on his farm on the Isle of Man with a key rusted into the ignition. So that's the kind of place we're talking about. Right, yeah. Did you find you were you, you were stressed walking through Douglas Town Centre at, at night? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, ne- I'd never walked anywhere. Really? Well, Joburg's just cars, you know, or at least it was if you, you know. Because it's spread out or because it's dangerous? Both. Um, and we were upper middle class English speaking whites or middle class, depending on your class is harder to, to quantify. But the point is, is that if you do have a house and a car, you use your house and your car. Right, yeah. You, you don't just wander about outside of a shopping mall. You sort of drive from like house to mall to office to strip of, of pubs, maybe, to home. It's quite <laughs> like, uh, you know, when you watch American movies and they're just driving everywhere, even when they're drinking somehow. And they, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And did you, I mean, did you warm to the Isle of Man or did you feel like you'd left the. The, the locus of things. I mean, we moved in mid-fucking-winter, so in, I wasn't pleased initially. Were howling gales and sideways rain, yeah. Yeah. I came to be extremely grateful and pleased to be on the island, but um, it took a couple of years. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, definitely a different pace. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you have an accent by that? You're, you're a talent with, uh, with accents, I'd say. <laughs> That's kind. I've... I've I've seen you, um, you've got a routine, haven't you, where you you go through some different accents and you say South African is only useful in in England when you're trying to intimidate an English person. To be frightening, yeah. Um, uh, I had a very thick Johannesburg accent. Oh, you did? Uh, what, or rather, Johannes, again, because uh, South Africa is so diverse, I should be respectful of the of the stats and what i mean is i had kind of accent that a suburban white english-speaking kid would have <laughs> in Joburg. so um yeah really strong and then i had a thick manx accent out of man accent for about three years i don't really know what that accent is if you 
go, I think the British Library uh, has a bunch of accent archive recordings. Oh, nice. And the Manx <laughs> ones are pretty are pretty good. You can just listen okay. to Manx radio digitally. It's a bit of a laugh. Okay. The young guys sound a, a very scouse, but then lots of those guys, people just go, oh, Manx people just sound scouse. But those are people born on the Isle of Man to scouse parents. I see. Okay, yeah. So it's unnecessarily corrupted, whereas the older guys sound sound more Irish. They sound like kind of Cumbrian, a little bit of Dublin in there. Mm, yeah, well, I think that makes sense. It's sort of right in the middle of all those places, right? You get the ferry from from Liverpool or from, yeah, Wales or, or Ireland. But have you, well, you, have of course, know the Isle of Man extraordinarily well, in a way. <laughs> I wouldn't say extraordinarily well. I've been there a few times now, but, um, but yeah, only for... For research. For research. But did you not hear any Manx accents yeah. or did you just presume that you were hearing some some weird sounding scouses? I mean, uh, maybe I did and just didn't realise. Yeah, I, w- I actually wasn't aware that there was a strong Ma- Manx accent. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, there, there is some Manx language, right, isn't there? Because it's on the... It's Gaelic, yeah. Gaelic, great, right, okay. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, all the signs are in Manx. Um, I guess, what, what typifies the Manx accent? Like... All, all the usual sort of Scouse things, but then a sort of flat, like, flat, more Irish sort of, yeah, yeah, right, fella, not, yeah, right, right, north, shoe, there's a bit of shoe instead of sure, you know. Right, I see. I, I can't really nail it anymore. It's quite, it's subtle if you don't know what you're listening for, because your ear will just go, yeah, 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 they're probably from fucking, I don't know, Birkenhead, who knows, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. But it is yeah, yeah. really, once you know what it is, you can tell it from a you're thousand spotter. miles away. Yeah. So, I mean, my point of asking all that was to say, was it something that you you were very aware that you sounded different? Oh, yeah. You were eager to get rid of that? You were like, I need to assimilate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The island's quite diverse now, but it was very weird to move there. And to move there from South Africa in the late nineties, mm-hmm. yeah. As in, like yeah. you turn up a school and the other kids are like, uh, "Who's this alien?" Type thing. They couldn't understand a fucking thing I was saying. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't understand anything they were saying. Oh right, it's two quite strong quite accents a, to smush together. I guess that's why it took a couple of years for you to feel a bit more comfortable living there, perhaps. Oh yeah. yeah did your Mega yeah. Drive come with you then from from South Africa? It did, but so our grand lived with us and weirdly she was super into video games she was really good at tetris and super mario oh, really? on on game gamer Boy. gran yeah cool gran and she when she was visiting my uncle in america she came back with a ps1 nice. and she was super into crash bandicoot and stuff so i think that replaced golden x but we were always a kind of a family pc kind of family yeah and then <laughs> that meant that i got super into very soon super into my next choice age of empires 2 was a huge history nerd even at the age of eight or nine and i don't know if i had seen or if i was aware of the first age of empires my friend who lived in the same neighborhood did have it but i never owned it i went straight to two because i was medieval (laughs) right and i was more interested in medieval history knights and stuff castles and i played that fucking game i mean my parents must have been concerned 
hours and hours and hours. Describe the game to anyone who, who, who doesn't know. What do you do in it? Uh, it's a real-time strategy game. You start off with a town center and some villagers, e.g. workers, you know, and using the villagers to gather resources, the classic, you know, wood, stone, gold, food. You build up towns, barracks, archery, stables, uh, castles, buildings, and, and lumber camps, and, and a whole economy to feed a kind of... Uh, medieval military uh, uh, industrial complex <laughs> to defeat the other players on the map that have also spawned and are rapidly chopping down bits of pixelated wood and uh, mining pixelated gold yeah is there a particular unit that you used to the uh, particular strategy that you found that was very effective that you would cling to um i was just obsessed with how it all looked i just thought it looked amazing and i loved uh, certain certain types of map and stuff all the big forests and things because this is the most detailed thing i'd ever seen at that point you know yeah right right and i was such a history nerd i would play through the campaigns and i mean that game is what taught me about frederick the first barbarossa Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, William Wallace. I played out of a sort of, sort of sense of abstract loyalty to, to my Scottish grandmother, who was the gamer. I would play as the Celts a lot. Right. Now, <laughs> as a proud Anglo-Saxon Norse Celtic graduate, I can tell you that loads of the names and um, units are extremely ahistorical, but you do have to make summations oh, really? when it comes to video games, historically, or you will just, you'll end up being paradox games, and no one wants that. That's too much. No one wants that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing it. I don't know if it was Age of Empires or Civilization or something like that, but it was responsible. I think the BBC did some research. It was responsible for teaching kids the word trebuchet. Oh, that's uh, Age of Empires uh, for sure. That's Age Surely. of Empires, right? Yeah. It's just such an unbeatable unit. Fucking trebuchets, man. I still sometimes play Age of Empires 2 multiplayer with comedian and musical prodigy and all-round impressionist genius Kieran Hodgson. Right, okay, no way. He lives up in Glasgow and every now and then he'll hand my ass to me by playing as the Franks on, on AOE2. Yeah. Can you still do that over the internet then? Are the server's still running? Uh, it's all just remastered and re-released because it's got such a loyal base. I and see, right. That's the thing is that they've yeah. done AO, Age of Empires 3 and 4 and they've got those 3D models, you know. <laughs> but I think they look ugly, you know. This uh, poorly rendered 3D palm tree looks like fat and lonelier than the, the kind of depth of forest you can get with pixelated uh, um i can't remember the technical term for the, that kind of model like pixel uh two-dimensional pixel art do you yeah mean? but sprites sprites i guess they are sprites but there's a there's a they've got sort of shadow and stuff you know this right there's okay. some way that they're more 3d than that okay there's a name for it and i don't know but it just looks better. It just looks better. The only time 3D starts to look better than that is when you get to sort of company of heroes level of, of hard drive usage. And that yeah. is just not going to work. Yeah. But Age of Empires 2, I mean, bloody hell. Yeah. And I would build, you could, they had a map creator where you could just build it yourself and recreate whatever imaginary thing you wanted. And Oh, man. Good times. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed with it to a toxic degree. You do. You bring it up quite quite a lot on Bud Pod, and I've also heard as well that is it. Can you do impressions of all the different units? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when when a new villager is created and spawned at the at the town centre, it goes like that. Do it again. Like it sort of breathes out. And when you click the villagers, you know they have little responses. Yeah. But to be fair, they put the fucking effort. I mean, the responses are different depending on what nation you choose. If you tell a female Briton villager to farm, she says, like that. And if you tell her to chop wood, she says, chopper. 
sometimes when you click the French, the Frankish villages, they go, oh yeah, like that, which is historically accurate as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They got an ex- a consultant came in and told them exactly what to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to be able to do loads of the noises like that, but I can't quite remember. I mean, there's a whole, so there's so many nations to choose from, but those are the ones that have stuck in my head. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. So tell me, you know, you, you mentioned there that you were a big history buff. Yeah. And did you know that you wanted to go and study history at, at Cambridge, ideally? No. Um, I knew I wanted to study something that would mean I could be a lawyer. Right. That was the plan. And history was probably the, always the best argument for that. And I would sometimes prefer the tangibility of history to the vagueness of literature. Mm-hmm. And if you are a white South African in the UK with an Italian surname, you need to get pretty au fait with history just to explain what the fuck you're up to. You better have an explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did you explain that? And also with the Pierre as well, what's what's going on with all of that? Well, French names are everywhere in South Africa because of the Huguenots. Okay. There's a massive Huguenot cross monument, actually, in the Western Cape. Really? And there's a village in the Cape called Flanchuk, e.g. French Corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Loads and loads of French-speaking Huguenots moved to the Cape, but because their language had no official status and there weren't enough of them to demand it they just eventually became afrikaans speaking or, mm-hmm. or whatever but the name stuck around okay which is why all the afrikaans rugby players cricketers you name it it's all you know andre francois right Pierre, yes jacques uh, you name it jean yeah and then is your is your dad part italian then i mean t- technically <laughs> but it's going back to the late 1800s. So. I see, okay. I see. It's like uh, all the Italians in Glasgow, you know, like Armando Iannucci, Peter Capaldi. Sure. Louis Capaldi, <laughs> all these very Italian yeah. Scots, yeah. So, the, uh, you know, at what point did that dream of following your father into into law shift and you decide that you wanted to tell jokes? Just doing comedy as a student, it's, it's very addictive. And um, we had some student gigs that professional comedians would come and do. So I got to meet them and see that it was like real and, and possible because I got to meet when I was still studying. I met like Nish Kumar, Gamble, very early on, young James A. Caster, Nick Helm, Tim Key. And you say, oh, it's kind of, it's real. It's plausible. Mm. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give that a go. And if I suck and it's awful, then I won't 
you do it i'll do something else but yeah it's too addictive so i kept doing it so you were just sort of going along to comedy nights and then and then you got to meet some of them afterwards at the bar or whatever and then you were like maybe i'll give it a go oh no when i was doing it i mean oh right okay no okay. so i was always i was already doing it as a student but then like it could just be like whatever you you can you can play rugby as a student it doesn't mean you want to go and go for trials or something so no i met, I met them in almost a collegiate sense yeah well i was like a little dipshit doing the 10 minutes and they were headlining and oh i see okay. yeah yeah okay. yeah but but then that very first time before before you get involved in Footlights and all of that, what was it that took you over there? Because it seems like you had quite a clear path set out for yourself. What what made you think, I'm going to give this a go for the first time? I was just obsessed with comedy always from, from when I was very young. I loved stand-up and we, when we, we got Sky TV when I was a teenager or maybe we got Paramount Comedy when I was a teenager or something. Anyway, I, I got access and then YouTube came in in like 2005, 2006. And now you just had access to all these clips of, of, of stand-up from around the world and from the past. And yeah, I was just very, very into it. And I thought, I'll give it a go in Freshers Week kind of equivalent. And if I suck, uh, the secret dies with me. Ne- n- never let this be spoken of again. Yeah. yeah. So I tried it quite quickly. That's where I met Phil. Yeah, yeah. He, t- he told me actually on, on this uh, podcast, he was saying that he was at your very first show and assumed that you were in the year year above or something because you're you're a tall chap aren't you and uh, tall and, and hairy yeah he, he thought i was doing like a phd or something so i was like when yeah. i still told him i was 18 he laughed in my face <laughs> do you remember any of the uh, material you did that first night yeah i i questioned why uh captain bird's eye was noted for seafood and peas was he growing peas on the ship you know there was quite a advertising campaign around creating a real bird's eye at the time. Right, yeah. And his ship was staffed entirely by children, which is just, you know, not a great look. Yeah, I remember that. It was like a TV advert, wasn't it, or something, with all the children in there, yeah. Back when we watched TV. So I read one interview where you were talking about uh, Frank Skinner, who you obviously now a co-host with on the radio show. Yeah. But he, you said that he was instrumental in convincing you to to try it because you'd read something he yeah. said. If you, Do you remember what that was? His his. His autobiographies, I guess, or his, uh, if you could call them that, I mean, I guess they are autobiographies, but his, there's one in which he, he wrote, which is more all about like what it's like to just be a comedian and do comedy. And mm. he's spoken before about how it's like quite a pure sort of freedom. And if you're a comedian, then that's it. You, you, you can work as much as you want, but also you can say no to stuff. You, you're your own master, you know. And uh, I was very into, when I was a late teenager, 18, 19, I was very into a lot of that kind of, gonzo sort of slightly freak spirit kind of thing from you got obviously the obvious you know hunter s thompson and stuff but also just generally that kind of idea of like where you venture out and find a way to make money creatively and just do your own thing and and see what happens <laughs> and i was a very uptight teenager oh you were so you're trying to get away from that well i didn't think i was i just thought i was having a little experiment but then yeah right. i was getting my my taste of chaos maybe after being a supremely buttoned up little freak for <laughs> all of high school yeah amazing all right pierre let's come to your third choice yeah tell us what tell us what this game is medal of honor allied assault Medal of Honor Allied Assault. The first Medal of Honor was uh, PlayStation or, or console in some way. Didn't it? Wasn't it, was it Spielberg involved in some way? Am I making that up? Maybe. 
Well, Medal of Honor Allied Assault was the PC version. I see. Okay. And it had a very evocative D-Day Omaha Beach scene. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think Spielberg used it to help make Saving Private Ryan or vice versa. Yes, there is something. There's sure. some story around that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when I was in game in the high street on the Isle of Man, the only place to even get near physical CDs of games on the remote island. I was looking at the back of the boxes and I was sort of like, sure, I play four hours of Age of Empires 2 a day, but maybe there's a half an hour spare for, you know. <laughs> Squeeze this in. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking at the games and I looked at the back. I was always obsessed with World War II and guns and mm. things. And I looked at the back of Medal of Honor and I thought, oh, is this like a strategy game from World War II? And I looked and I didn't realize, I would have been 11, I didn't know you could get first-person games. Really? I didn't know they were real. I looked at it and I went, wait, hang on. And I literally, I remember like freaking out, holding it in my hand. Sort of going, wait, I can be in World War II holding a fucking gun myself. You are kidding. How is this even possible? So I got it and uh, it blew my fucking mind. It melted my head. I, I, the adrenaline I got from that now extremely blurry game. I can even remember all the briefing things, like you'd read this briefing document while the mission took forever to load. Lieutenant Powell? That's where you were, Lieutenant Powell. The adrenaline, there was generally, there's a moment where you have to sneak through um, a North African, Africa Corps base fighting the Nazis, and the machine gun towers have got these kind of rotating spotlights, and you just have to like move in such a way that they don't get you. Classic, yeah. I, being such a games virgin, didn't realize, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just walk across this courtyard. And I, knew, I was still sneaking, because there were still enemies around, but I didn't realize how to do it properly. And I got caught in the searchlight really suddenly, and just like noise, and the screen flashing red, and my death. And it made me jump so much, and the adrenaline of trying to sneak through was so high, that I genuinely paused the game and had to go and lie down until my heart rate came back to earth glass of water and a flannel genuinely like like <laughs> the 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 first person shooter version of when you watch that footage of people jumping out of the way of the train when they first saw a moving picture yes of course yeah yeah and so this this game war and then the fact that it was multiplayer and you could play world war ii against other people in the world and yeah oh man it just how would you I'm sorry, but how had you not seen that they'd invented this kind of game with Doom and Wolfenstein and all of that stuff? Well, it's weird because I another PC game that we were obsessed with was a, an amazing CD-ROM called Muppets Inside, where the Muppets get trapped in your PC and you have to get them out. And it contained a really, what I didn't realize was a really funny parody of Doom. Right. Where you're the Swedish chef going around a maze. <laughs> right. And you have to use a whisk on like uh, like lemons and things, and they turn into pies. Right. Perfect. And as he's going around, he's got like hit points and stuff, and he's going, <laughs> whisking up all these pies. Yeah. So I guess I sort of knew that was possible, but I, I could understand that that was very limited and heavily pixelated. And yeah. you were in this kind of screensaver level maze, you know. Yeah. Whereas the idea that I could be in fucking d-day i mean bloody hell yeah and like bullet physics and stuff i just had no clue amazing yeah cool so i've got to put that in there because then that ruined my life and i i can remember the whole theme tune and stuff the music was great a lot of soaring brass and military drums sure yeah oh yeah so that took you away from age of empires 2 for a while then yeah yeah a little bit Amazing. So let's uh, let's come back to your story there, Pierre. So I, I read an interview with you in The Guardian, which I think you did really recently, but you mentioned yeah. sort of almost in passing that um, 
it was a mild-mannered heckler at a show who diagnosed you with um, Asperger's. Yeah. Is that true? That is true. Um, I, I say heckler because it's... There isn't really a word for it other than heckling, but it wasn't heckling in the aggressive club sense that people are imagining because it was an hour-long work-in-progress show that was happening quite late at night. Where where were you? I was at the Comedy Den. Uh, it's a gig in Bristol run by uh, uh, Bert Williamson. He's a good comedian and a, a buddy of mine. And it was a sort of hipstery gig. And the crowd was like rowdy and stuff, but not in an aggy way. It was more like a kind of boisterous. Ooh. They were adding, not subtracting. Most heckling is subtracting. Sure. And this guy didn't just talk to me out of nowhere. We had already had some audience to stage interaction, me and him. Uh, like what kind of thing? Well, so the host had asked him, him you know, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And he was a, a, a history PhD. Uh, the fall of the Roman Republic. Okay. Julius Caesar and so on. So your eyes lit and up. Bert. <laughs> well, I was at the back of the room and Bert joked. He said, I don't know anything about that, but Pierre's a huge nerd, so he will. And then so when he brought me on, I thought, well, they, I'd better reference it because it's true. And I said, oh, fall of the Roman Republic. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I go, Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon, the die is cast. And the guy went, oh, yeah. Like, oh, fuck. I thought that was, didn't think you would actually know anything right. about it. And I went, yeah, yeah, I know. And I went, did a joke like, you see, you know, I am such a big nerd, and that's the guy who said it. Right. How, though? It, in what context? It was just- well, weirdly, I was doing a show that I'm about to, I'm going to take on tour in autumn. So, spoiler alert, mm. I guess, it doesn't really matter. And I titled the show, which I'd started writing in 2020, and this is in 2022 that this guy's heckling. Why can't I just enjoy things? And it was all about how I enjoy things so differently to other people and. Yep. I, I don't seem to gel on this or that or the other. And without realizing it, all my material was just super fucking autistic, which is they've rebranded Asperger's as autism for everyone now, which is if if you're listening to this and wondering why you've seen such an explosion in autism, it's because they're rebranding Asperger's as autism, even if it's mild or whatever, it doesn't matter. So that's why uh, the stats are going crazy. Anyway, and uh, there was some bit where I was sort of rhetorically saying, oh, how about that? Or isn't that weird? Or... You know, I was inviting it a little bit, so it wasn't quite a full heckle. Mm. But uh, yeah, right. he piped up and said, "Yeah, you just sound like me." And he had Asperger's, right? Okay. And okay. I thought, "Ooh, that's a uh, that that makes sense." Then, if he was sort of referring, putting himself, putting his own skin in the game, that's it—a tougher heckle to deal with because uh, <laughs> yeah, he's not accusing me of anything he hasn't done himself. <laughs> yeah. How did you receive that? I made a joke out of it because, to be honest, he wasn't the first person to say it. My friend, the comedian Fern Brady, who's got a great book about her late autism diagnosis and her life, uh, when she got her diagnosis, I've known her for a long time, and I said, oh, congrats, you know. And she said, oh, yeah, I do think you do it as well. I think you have it as well. It's like the first thing she said. I was like, no, all right, fucking hell. <laughs> and she said it for the same reason, <laughs> like, oh, you just knew loads about history. You seem to just have this stuff in a Rolodex in your head, which is true. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of the that's one of the signs. Yeah, yeah. In fact, before we were before we started recording, I was telling you about the book I'm working on at the moment, and when I told you what it was about, I saw you sort of look down, and it was almost like you were checking a Rolodex, going, yeah. "Do I know about this? What do I know about this subject?" <laughs> yeah, Leningrad, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned the seed bank, and I know all about Svalbard. Yep. And uh, I guess I remember a lot of the Soviet agricultural innovation stuff they were trying to do in the yeah. 30s. Oh, look, look, look. Corn as high as an elephant's eye. We don't anyway. have to make this a plug for the thing I'm working on. That's not what I was trying to do. Well. But uh, 
Um, you um, you said, and, and I quote here, so I don't know if this was the same, same I'm sorry to quote your words back at you, but I just think it's sure. interesting, Pierre. I hope you don't mind. This is as close as I'm going to get to being on like a Paxman style. <laughs> you, uh, Do you stand by your words? <laughs> that's not that's not the tone of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> but you wrote loads of qualities I previously thought made me unique were actually just some of the varied symptoms of a spectrum condition, which is useful knowledge, but it does take something of a sledgehammer to your sense of self. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe people who have experienced that themselves might that might resonate. But, but what, yeah, what did you mean? Did it le- leave you sort of thinking which parts um, are me and which parts are the diagnosis, or is that what you mean by that? Oh, totally. Yeah, it's like uh, some sci-fi thing where you have a symbiote in your because they're sort of going, oh, you know, that that thing that makes you special. Your your crazy historical fact recall and it's part of why you did well in your degree and your whole life choices mm. and they go yeah that's just part of this thing you have <laughs> right it's like if you're a professional footballer and you found out you have footballitis and that's why you're good at kicking and then i guess it kind of it detracts a bit from your feelings of uh freedom of choice i guess it, it has a mm. destiny aspect to it that's quite unnerving and the news as well that, of course, you share this quality with a significant proportion, although not all, <laughs> of your fellow diagnoses. <laughs> so you go, oh, okay, so it is still special, but it's not that special, but also, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite unsettling. Yeah, labels are weird, aren't they? Yeah, well, I'd say it's triggered an existential crisis, but that's too dramatic. I'd say it's triggered an existential fizzling <laughs> right. as opposed to a bomb, you know, like a kind of... <laughs> an existential tantrum. <laughs> yeah, or an, an existential leak. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll, fi- I'll get the tap fixed at some point, but there's a dripping. Yeah. Yeah. You met, you mentioned a, a minute ago just about how, you know, there's lots more diagnosis, I suppose, in the UK for, for various reasons. Yeah. What, what do you think it would have benefited you in any way to have received that as a child rather than an adult? Or would you prefer it the way it's happened? It's tough to say because getting it as a child would potentially have meant I was not pushed as much. And people might have gone, oh, well, let's not try and get him to try and do this because it's beyond him. And that's not good. But then it would have also maybe gotten me some some leeway when I needed some leeway. And, and mm. But then that's that's wishful thinking because are you imagining a perfect world scenario or are you imagining the world we live in and the way it treats mm. people who are different? So yeah. I don't know really. If I had got it when I was like three somehow and it was all I'd ever known, then that's one thing. Mm. But I don't know if I would have wanted it any time between seven or eight and uni. Right. Because high school was very difficult in many ways, but I did learn how to socialize and I did learn a lot through pushing myself. You've already got this accent to get rid of. So Yeah, this, I've got enough on my plate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I guess, yeah, start of uni would have been useful to because hmm. I found uni was quite chaotic and the loss of structure and stuff did impact me a lot more than I thought, and especially by second year. So yeah, maybe around then. Mm. But yeah, weirdly, there's a big bracket of time where it, I think it would have been more harm than good. Mm. Interesting. It's tough to say. Yeah, tough to say. Okay, Pierre, let's come to your... Thank you for talking about that, by sure. the way. And sure. Let's come to your fourth game, um, which... Uh, yeah, t- tell us about this one. Oh, man, I was playing this yesterday. It made me so fucking angry. Um, Hell Let Loose. You 
was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was a top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. The first person shooter, World War II, I guess you'd call it a mill sim, military simulator. It's that level of realism. You get shot, you're dead. You can't even see the guy who shot you. Yeah, I don't. I have to say, I haven't played this game, but I do. I, I do know Milsims. So yeah, they're just sort of highly realistic. Not only in terms of the the look of the game, but like you say, consequences. You know, you, your character is wounded in a similar way to a real wound would be inflicted, right? Yeah, and there's an extent to which, depending on where your character gets hit, you can do some bandaging up or or, or whatever. But by and large, if you get dinged, that's it. You you're gone. You have to respawn. It's also a very complex game because it's not really possible to play well without a mic. And you just have to speak to other people and work as part of a team. And right. they limit the amount of weaponry. So there can be at most two people per 50 with sniper rifles. You can't all be fucking sniper rifling around. Right. You can't. It, are the, t- the side's that big then? It's 50 a side? 50 v 50, yeah, on a big map. Right. Te- actively tedious to walk. You really want to stick out your thumb and get a troop transport driven by someone else. And do what, like, matches take a couple of hours then? Yeah, it's long. It, it's, it's, if, if, if you've only got an evening, then you're probably... They don't have to take an hour and a half, but they can. If they last their full length of time, they can. But that's quite, that's quite satisfying. That's kind of what you want. A really, a real meat grinder of a tactical situation. And you will just die so much. But it's so satisfying when you work out how to just crawl through a field slowly and flank a machine gun position. Yeah, right, right. It's incredibly cinematic as well. It really is so atmospheric um, and satisfying once you know what it's what it's mm. about. And, and, and is it is it one of these games where when your character's killed, you then sit back and watch the rest of your surviving team until the match is over? No, you do come back, but there's right. a few seconds delay and you come back by a series of immovable and movable spawn points that have to be set up by your team. Got it, right. Um, you can't really do anything without your team working together and using supplies to build stuff. It's very teamwork heavy. Otherwise, you will just get steamrolled. And it's very specific in the sense that if you choose to be a member of an infantry squad, just a grunt with a rifle, you can drive a truck, sure, but you cannot get in, drive, or do anything skilled in any sort of armor because <laughs> you're not a crew member. Right, right. You have to spawn as a crew member, and then you can do that, and you're a guy in a jumpsuit with a pistol and a little hat, you know. Yeah, and the artillery is brutal as well. It's uh, Yeah, well, as in life. Yeah. Do you, what, what do you, who do you play as normally? What, what kind of role? It doesn't tend to be available, but the... Just being a guy with a bazooka hunting through the bocage is extremely satisfying. Sneak up on a tiger tank and try and hit it in the back where the fuel tanks are. Oh, and this terrible thunk as the fucking rocket ricochets and the barrel starts moving towards you. It is like Saving Private Riot sometimes. It's just terrifying. Yeah. Amazing. There's been a few stories recently, haven't there, of like... um sort of people who are actively in the military playing these kind of mill sims and getting in arguments online on the forums and then uploading um classified confidential documents, classified yeah. documents <laughs> to go actually this is how the tank works and like here's my instruction manual for the tank that i yeah in my in my real life job and, and yeah someone went to someone's been court martial for it or whatever the u.s equivalent is or whatever, yeah. So, yeah it's it's war thunder generally yeah it's happened a couple of times in the states and once at least in the uk it was a guy who drives a challenger 2 and he mm. was yeah uploading a thing going i'm um, actually the top speed is this and 
But those mill sims are, are, are like flight simulator, you know, there's like, you have to adjust the gears and, and, and stuff within the tank and you, yeah. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say Hell Let Loose is in between the stupid laser gun nonsense of Call of Duty and the psychotic realism dedication of like armor. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. A-R-M-A, you know. Yep. It's in between the two. In it's, between the it's two, It's still yeah. much more playable than the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Lots of uh, lots of women that you play with. <laughs> Every now and then one will pop up, but it's rare. Do you know what's amazing is I got a DM, I think it was a DM, from someone who says that they recognize my voice in-game from Budpot. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, I popped up as their squad leader, gave them some orders, and then went commander and was the commander of the overall team. And they were like, was that? <laughs> was that? No way. They did a... <laughs> they did a koji instead of a salute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was it was that was really great to get that message and also kind of terrifying because I thought, ooh. Yeah. What if they've heard one of the games where I was having an argument with some fucking American 12-year-old about why why they should stop throwing grenades? I don't know. God. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh man. You you've mentioned it already, but uh, we should talk about your your current tour, the tour that you you're about to start, aren't you, next week? And um as you said, it's called Why Can't I Just enjoy things um yeah you have talked about this a little bit but yeah why can't you pierre well it's probably the autism mainly i yeah i just i can enjoy stuff but i i feel like uh, yeah i just never quite live up to the expectations of other people in the right way my partner and i went to lisbon recently and we did all the normal fun stuff and then i she asked me sort of like well what specifically would you do you know and i sort of thought what would i do and it would either be something to do with the kind of you know sharp era napoleonic wars kind of stuff or in lisbon i'm after some visigothic artifacts baby i want to see some of that pre-andalus conquest uh, uh masonry work yeah so that's not most people's list of fun portugal ideas yeah did you convince your partner to tag along? Sadly, there was not time to, to get my Visigoth on. <laughs> yeah, most the pity. Do you, are, are you sort of, when you're doing this show and you're touching on, on these sort of areas, are you, obviously you're, you're talking about your own experience and you can do that with complete authority and all of that, but are you sure. mindful of perhaps other people's experiences in the room? You have to be as a stand-up. Um, being a stand-up the way that I am and, and still doing like nightclubs and like very normal comedy contexts where the people in the crowd are not self-selecting to be your fans. They are just random members of the public. Mm -hmm. You are essentially a one-man survey company and you do end up by sheer brute necessity Mm -hmm. with a decent grasp of what most people think of most things. Really? Yeah, so you sort of go, no, people won't get that or no, people don't like that or it's a lot easier to watch someone else who isn't a stand-up try and do something and going, even like a politician and just going, they really shouldn't use that word because people would misunderstand that to mean this and they don't, Mm. the average person actually isn't super cognizant of that. Yeah. For example, I would never say the word cognizant on stage (laughs) like I just did there. But here on a nerd podcast, I think I'm allowed to say cognizant and have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But Saturday night in the, <laughs> in front of all the stag and henders. <laughs> yeah, I'm not busting out the word cognizant. No, right, yeah. Or, 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 or nevertheless. <laughs> Keeping it simple. Yeah, right. Maybe a, uh, a a career as a political speechwriter beckons later on, Pierre. Yeah, particularly thuggish ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, why don't we come to your, your, last, your last game. Um, yeah. Tell us about this classic. It's Return of the Obra Dinn. 
I've played a lot of games, mainly on PC, but also on console, and there's just nothing else like it. I played it during the pandemic. My job <laughs> didn't exist. I briefly took up Twitch streaming, and I played Return of the Oberdin on Twitch because Limmy recommended it. Yeah, just tell us what, what you do in the game, because uh, so it's quite difficult to explain, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so with the caveat that the following explanation does not satisfyingly sum it up at all. Right. But it does literally sum it up. You are an insurance inspector for, for this East India company, basically. Mm -hmm. And your job is uh, to... The, the, the empty hull, the floating wreck of the Obra Dinn ship has drifted back into port after being lost in a storm for years, I think. It's three years. Mm -hmm. There were some survivors who are now scattered around the world a bit in some fashion, but no one really knows what happened. And for insurance purposes, <laughs> you have to investigate it. And you do so with a kind of haunted stopwatch that the ship's surgeon posts to you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And the stopwatch can sort of sense... It starts to sort of vibrate when it's near the scene of a death. And as it vibrates, you flip it open and click. And it will teleport to you at a sort of vision to a frozen uh, tableau mm -hmm. of that death. And using these death scenes in reverse order, you start at the end. You have to reverse order construct all the deaths and tragedies and weird fucked up stuff that led to the terrible demise of the Obra Dinn. And some of the people have, like, some people have died in, like, yeah. you know, gunfights, but others have fallen in, fallen overboard, and you've got some being attacked by a sea monster and all that kind of thing. That's it, and you have to identify, in, in these tableaus, these strangers, their faces are just, are just, you know, they're strangers to you. And you have a little sketch of everyone on the ship that the ship's artist sort of did. And you have to identify all the names and their cause of death. <laughs> or, or their fate, rather. They're called fate. Solve their fate. And when I was Twitch streaming, I could only, as a result, play it for about an hour, an hour and a half at a time. Yeah. And so it juicily elongated this incredible game over to sort of 10, 12 days. And I thought about it every minute I wasn't playing it. I dreamt about it. I woke up thinking about it and playing it. Wow. And it's all made by one guy. The The plot of the game, the idea, the the, the graphics, the music. He's composed it all himself. Mm. Some lunatic. Lu Lucas Pope. Lucas Pope. Lucas Pope. It, it, and it all slaps. It's all fucking great. And it looks great. And it, yeah. the concept is amazing. It, it, it's like a kind of... It's its own thing. It's it's a black swan. It's, yeah, it really it's, is. There's no other game that quite... It's point and click. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of a mystery game, but but I've, ne I've just never seen the dynamic before. And for a new game dynamic to pop up at this stage... Yeah, very rare. It's like a genre of movie popping up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. A new genre. When you enter the names, because you have to enter the name next to the person who's vision of their death yeah. you've, you've seen but the game doesn't actually tell you if you're right or wrong does it no 
So you can be... It lets you be wrong. So you can make mistakes and then you're building on false assumptions and you can get yourself in, in a complete mess, really. So, yeah. I, you know, it's a, it's an incredible game, but, but not, for, not for everyone, I think, probably. No, you've got to... In- Imagine a sort of murder mystery pirate-themed visual crossword puzzle. Yes. That's also got some kind of spooky elements to it, some unnerving elements. Yeah, it's quite a Lovecraftian. Yes. At points. Yeah. Or, or of that sort of flavor. Yeah, just whew, an absolute genre-busting delight. I, I wish if I could erase a game from my mind and play it again, it would be that. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful game. Right, Pierre, so let's go through your console. We've got here um, Golden Axe, Age of Empires 2, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, uh, Hell Let Loose, and Return of the Oberdin. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's all over the place, but I love it. It's all pretty historical. <laughs> I just thought, I, I basically thought, what what is, had the, I'm going to list all the games that have left the most brutal fingerprints on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. It's Some, not a balanced console. <laughs> No, it's perfect. So um yeah, we need a we need a name for this console to market it to the world. Have you got have you got something we can call it, Pierre? Oh. Mm. Uh History Dweeb three thousand, I guess. The History Dweeb three thousand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> it's gonna fly off the shelves, I know it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Well, th- thanks so much for your time, Pierre. I've just got one question before we before I let you go. So, um, yeah, I've got another quote for you. It's not from you. It's from one of your reviewers. That um, oh, no, I found it very funny. It's unintentionally oh, funny. God, I what think. is it? But for anyone who, if anyone who like listens to who knows your material well and listens to your podcast and everything, it's funny. This chat wrote Pierre has a slight over fondness for bringing in bodily excretions of various kind. Novelli is far too clever a fellow to dwell on such lowest common denominator yuck. <laughs> and it's at, it's at odds with his debonair demeanour. Yeah, I remember this fucking review. It's that thing where people mistake, they, they go, Oh, but must you dwell in the sewers? Could you not simply dream amid the spires as I do? <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah, I should say yeah, come on. it was in the Daily Telegraph, so what do you expect? But um <laughs> This is it. I can, look, if I if every gig was fucking Henley Yacht Festival, then yeah, I could but then even then that would be the most tempting scenario in which to just start talking about fucking diarrhea. <laughs> Definitely. Oh man. So but, but I mean you you do talk uh yeah, what's your sort of scatological obsession with uh, you know it's Something that you and Phil do a lot in Bud Pod. Where's that coming from? It wasn't supposed to be, but the listeners kind of decided that that's what it should be. And I just think, I think it's just the funniest thing. Oh, it's one of the funniest things because it's compulsory. Yes. The comedian Alfie Brown used to have a great bit about how shit and poo is funny because you must poo. Yes. You must or you will die. (laughs) And that's true of everyone yes it's so humbling and awful yeah. and strange and taboo as well and which taboo is, and secret even though it's completely universal it's completely it's a, taboo. It's, a, it's a universal secret and horrible smelling stuff just shoots out of you disgusting what an awful fucking thing to build into the system <laughs> terrible but the compulsive horror of it is funny. Definitely, it's good. Well, I thought that was I thought that was very funny. I think you should not take that to heart. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> that fucking guy. It can't all be words like cognizant, my friend. 
Well, listen, Pierre, I absolutely love your work and um, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for it and for what you're doing. It's, uh, My pleasure. It seems like uh, things are going really well and uh, you're flying at the moment. And oh, thanks, I hope, I hope it continues very much so. Well, to, better, if we're going to gonna go get this way. console made, it's fucking better. <laughs> thanks, Pierre. Thanks, man. Pierre Novelli, everyone. Thank you so much to my guest, the lovely Pierre Novelli. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat. I hope you did too. I'm very grateful to Pierre for talking to me. On the day when we recorded that interview, he's already done a three-hour-long radio show record with Frank Skinner, I think, earlier that day. So uh, it was very good of him that evening to settle down and chat about video games with me. So thank you, Pierre. Uh, the tour that we were talking about, uh, I did record this uh, a couple of months ago, the tour that uh, Pierre was talking about, um, the Why Can't You Just Enjoy Things tour, I think it's called, is well underway by now. So the week that this comes out, Pierre is performing in Scotland. He's at Glasgow on the 11th of October. This is 2023, if you're listening in the future. Uh, then he's at Edinburgh on the 12th, Newcastle, then Coventry, Southend, Norwich, then over to Dublin, back to Leeds, Sheffield, Northampton, Nottingham. He's playing in Brighton, that's near me, on the 9th of November, then down to Bath, Salford, and ending the tour on the 23rd of November at London's Leicester Square Theatre. Um, so yeah, if he's coming to a town or a city near you, then get along, support Pierre. You can buy tickets on his website. That is piernovelli.com. You can see how to spell his name by just looking at the name of this episode. Uh, and yeah, you can go on there. You can find where to buy tickets and go along to see Pierre perform. Of course, as well, you can listen to Pierre every week with former guest of my perfect console, Phil Wang. The pair of them produce Bud Pod, uh, their weekly show. It's excellent. Very, very good. Two very smart, very funny people talking about the world and everything in it every week. Uh, I mean, it's been done before, but has it been done as well as they do it? I'm not sure. Uh, it's one of the podcasts on my weekly rotation and uh yeah if you enjoy my perfect console then i think you'll probably enjoy bub pod as well so yeah why don't you subscribe to that uh, as well so yeah uh we got both of them thanks as well to phil and to pierre for inviting me uh, earlier in the summer to go and see uh, them both perform on the south bank at the Royal Festival Hall. That was a real treat. And uh, yeah, afterwards we got to have a lock-in at the Royal Festival, which was brilliant. And I stayed much too late and uh, almost didn't get home. But uh, yeah, that was a good memory. So thank you to them both for inviting me along to that. Right, that's it. That's probably enough of uh, me slightly showing off. Uh, <laughs> to Podcast Matters, if you have been enjoying the show, then please do pop along to iTunes or Spotify, leave a rating, leave a little star, uh, tap on the five stars or something like that. It helps people to find the show. Thank you to the Patreon supporters of My Perfect Console. It's a good bunch and uh, growing every week. Uh, really appreciate those of you who are, have joined the Patreon. You do get some bonus episodes. Uh, you do get 
to find out who the guests are a month in advance. The whole month we reveal uh, uh, in advance. And then, yeah, in coming weeks, we're going to be doing the My Perfect Console knockout competition to crown the very best console of the year. You'll get a chance to vote in that. Maybe uh, I might open it up to the public for the initial stages and then, but then it's definitely just going to be Patreon supporters who uh, crown the console of the year and then whoever wins that i might try and get them back on for a little victory lap that'd be nice wouldn't it i guess it depends who it is i mean um yeah if it's ronan farrow he's a busy guy <laughs> let's let's see who wins that and uh, we'll we'll figure out if we can make something happen anyway uh, thank you to those of you who continue to write to me with your lovely messages of support with your suggestions for guests really appreciate those sorry i've got a cough after my time in japan um yeah please continue to do that uh, like i said we have got the rest of the year is booked up now but uh i've started to book slots into 2024 goodness me where's the year gone um so yeah please do continue to suggest those if you're on patreon you can just send me a message on that directly otherwise send me an email at my at gmail.com com it'd be lovely to hear from you uh, i've got a book out actually uh, i haven't mentioned this on here but um yeah i've contributed to a new book about video games from fiden uh it is called game changers and it's sort of like a very elevated form of list sort of looking at several hundred of the most important video games that have contributed to the evolution of the medium I have not written the entries for that. I've written a sort of long essay at the start of the book and then some very fine writers have contributed the uh, the actual text for the entries for the games, including good best friend of the podcast, uh, Christian Donlan. Um, yeah, that's published by Fiden and I'm actually uh, doing a launch event in New York next week. How exciting is that? If you're a listener from New York, uh, then why don't you come along? That is happening on the 18th of October, 2023. It is occurring at the American Institute of Graphic Arts. And it's going to be myself in conversation with uh, the developer Colleen Macklin uh, and moderated by Dr. Mitu Kan. Dakar, uh, a good friend of mine from way back when who now teaches at NYU Game Center. Um, the three of us are going to be chatting about video games, what they mean to us and um, some of the entries in the book that have meant a lot to each of us personally. Um, so yeah, I guess a little bit along the theme of this podcast. So if you're New York based, you enjoy this podcast, then why don't you come along? You can buy tickets at the AIGA's website. That is AIGANY.org. So AIGANY.org. You're looking for Game Changers, the video game revolution. You can pick up tickets to the event there. Come along. It's happening in the early evening on the 18th of October. It starts at 6.30 and runs through till 8.30. Uh, and yeah, you can find out more details about that. Tickets are, I think they're pretty cheap. It's like just a few dollars, eight dollars or something like that. And uh, I imagine you'll be able to pick up a copy of the book as well if you come along to that. It's a bit of a doorstop, but beautifully designed. Of course, Fighton 
make wonderful, wonderful coffee table books. So very glad to have had a small part in the creation of that work. Yeah, come along. It'd be lovely to meet you. Say hi if you do. Right, who have we got next week? Next week we're going to be doing, I think, the uh, the live recording from WASD. Uh, that is with David Wilson, who for almost two decades was head of comms for Sony PlayStation. He has some great stories. So we'll look forward to that. Just uh, finishing up the edit on that. And uh, that will be out next week. Some great guests this month. Um, really looking forward to sharing those chats with you. And um, and throughout the rest of the year, yeah, some, some real big hitters. Uh, looking forward to sharing their console choices with you. So yeah, be back again next week with David Wilson. Uh, with his five choices and with one more perfect console till then goodbye